to another Guildhall School podcast and today we're talking about the Reflective Conservatoire Conference which is taking place from the 20th to the 23rd of February here at Guildhall uh, and the theme this year is Artists as Citizens and the, the conference is exploring some of the possibilities of the idea of artistic citizenship, how artistic citizenship comes alive, what civic responsibility means for, for arts organisations and, and higher education institutions uh, and I'm really pleased to be joined by Naira Ashworth who's a professor of clarinet at Junior Guildhall here uh, and who's going to be talking to us a little bit about her presentation that she's giving next week which is entitled Towards a More Flexible Musician of the Future, a performance of Stenzel music which I have now learned the pronunciation very of, good. for solo clarinetists slash performers. Uh, so thanks very much for joining us Naira. Well, um, it's a pleasure to be here, have a chance to explore some of these ideas. Super. Well, uh, first of all, can you tell us what you mean by towards a, a more flexible musician of the future? Well, that's a rather big... <laughs> it's, I'm, I'm, I'm making you do all the work. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe I should start way back when I was a, a, a postgraduate student in Holland, and I first saw a performance of Harlequin by Stockhausen for solo clarinet, it's a sort of 50-minute performance piece, but, uh, and it's quite an avant-garde piece, and uh, it, it excited me tremendously because I've always been very interested in performance, as in broader performance mm. than playing the clarinet, mm. so theatrical performance and comedy and, and so on. And I've always wondered, how do you bring these two together? And I'd already been exploring that. And then seeing this piece, which was written in the 60s, where the clarinetist, the instrumentalist, mm. is actually the performer as yeah. well, was... Well, it was just, I was flabbergasted and very excited. And at the beginning of at the introduction of Kleiner Harlequin, actually, Stockhausen writes a little blurb explaining the piece and his ideas and so forth. And he actually, one of the sentences, and let's hope that this is the start of um, a more, he doesn't use the word flexible, but basically of a more flexible musician of the future. I think he used the word versatile. And I've just taken that as my motto. And what that means for me, therefore, is various things. It means that I'm looking to evolve as a performer. Obviously, I'm a classically trained clarinetist. And I feel that in this day and age, it's important to embrace as many skills as interest you yeah. and use those as well. So you have a toolkit at your disposal and you can draw on all those things mm. to be the performer you want to be. That's one aspect of it. The other aspect I think is about communicating with uh, people. Mm. And as a classical musician, uh, I notice that quite often I say that I'm a classical musician, I've, I've studied Guildhall and so yeah, on, yeah. and people feel their response is, if they're not, if they don't know about classical music particularly, mm. is slightly either threatened or like dismissive or, and I think, well, why not? pep things up a bit and, mm. and, and, you know, help to make music, classical music, more relevant 
um, if that's the case, if people mm. are if the people aren't interested, um, and also how can we create a classical music that is actually bigger than it than yeah. just playing the instrument? Yeah, I know. I've been reading up. I've done my research like any good podcast host. And you also talk about artistic authenticity. Um, and so how does your idea of a kind of flexible musician go towards this aim of, of artistic authenticity as well? I suppose um, it's about being true to yourself and also being authentic. Well, what does authentic mean? Um, authentic means being honest, mm. I suppose, bottom line for me. And I think when one is honest, you communicate mm. immediately. You know, if you show your vulnerability in your performance, if you if you can draw on all aspects of your emotional experience, I think that that immediately engages people and helps to create, to drop the barriers mm. between people something like that and do you think that kind of authenticity is is key in in talking about artistic citizens and artistic citizenship i think that in terms of artistic citizenship mm. yeah i think the important thing is that because there's two aspects in that i mean i suppose when i'm talking about towards a more flexible musician future i'm also talking about being more creative mm. and being more involved in the actual creative process. And I suppose how that links with being a citizen, artistic citizen, is that that, therefore that creative process gives you the bridge to to work in different social situations, uh, to question things that, you know, that that just interest you or that, worry you as an artist as a uh, and and so that sort of creates the link mm. and the link towards being more aware and more um, active socially mm. as well yeah so it kind of gives you the skills and the I guess the confidence to be willing to tackle those kind of things and get involved and not yeah. leave, leave it to others I suppose. yeah and so can you tell us a little bit about um, stencil music as well, which yeah. is the other part of your of your talk and performance next week? Stencil music is basically uh, an hour-long piece. Uh, it was made by together by four people, so it's a collaboration mm-hmm. between Philip Parr, the director and dramaturgist, Rachel Stott, the composer, Stephen Watts, the poet, mm-hmm. and myself. And it's, in a nutshell, it's, you could say it's a one-woman clarinet stroke acting piece. Mm -hmm. And um, that would give you an idea of the fact that you're only going to see one person on stage, one performer on stage, who actually does embrace various different characters. Mm -hmm. And all these characters come from interviews that I made uh, in the... So, so basically, just going back a little bit, um, I had this—I had this idea a long time ago, talking about artistic citizenship. That I—I've always been very interested in uh, belonging, what, what that means to me, mm. and identity. Because I'm actually half Turkish, half English, born here. My mother was Turkish, my father's English, 
And I've always felt slightly, where, where do I belong? What's yeah. that? So that's always been something that's important to me, to look at that. And I, I've also worked a lot in the um, Jewish community mm-hmm. with storytelling, and I've travelled around the world with storytellers. I worked in a Jewish storytelling theatre company for oh, right. quite a long time, and we, we, we travelled around Basically, we, we created shows with mm. storytelling and music and so on. And so I thought it would be really fun to explore as a first ex- experience of being a, a, a solo creative mm. performer, the topic of what's it like to be first, second, third generation Jewish? What's it like to be first, second generation third Turkish. Mm. So I thought I'd do two pieces, one about the Jewish community and one about the Turkish community. The one about the Turkish community is still to happen. But the, so Stenzel music came from that idea. Okay. Then Philip knew Stephen Watts, mm. who is the most amazingly special and wonderful poet, who's lived in Whitechapel for over 40 years. And Stephen... Uh, sort of came to mind came to mind when we were thinking about making a piece like this mm. so Stephen was really in uh, interested in exploring the work of the great Yiddish poet Avram Stenzel who escaped from Berlin to Whitechapel between the wars mm. uh, and who, there's an urban myth that he never uh, he only spoke Yiddish in Whitechapel so if you saw him on the street he'd talk to you in Yiddish and he and various people set up this group called the Friends of um, the Friends of Yiddish at Toynbee Hall we met once a week and the idea was that it would <clears throat> anybody could come and that they could practice their Yiddish speaking Yiddish and write, reading and writing Yiddish and it would just keep the language alive. Um, So between those two ideas, that's kind of what the piece is. So we have uh, poetry in it by Avram Stenzel and by Stephen Mm -hmm. Watts. And uh, I interviewed lots of people from the community, Jewish community, met some absolutely fabulous and interesting people and everybody had stories to tell and I recorded everything and Rachel and I went through those interviews and she came up with the idea of making a four movement piece about one about Taylor, one about Baker, mother and a child and so it uses sound design and images from the area as a backdrop and I'm playing the clarinet, I'm, I'm being the characters, I'm telling some stories, and so on. And what was it about this particular idea and, and centering it in, in Whitechapel and that, and that area? What was it about that that really interested you? Well, I, I hadn't thought about, let's do a piece about Whitechapel, mm. but because Stenzel, Avram Stenzel, became the sort of link through the piece, it made sense that it would be about Brick Lane and Whitechapel, and, and also the fact that actually, of course, Whitechapel is, was always the first port of call for immigrants coming into England. Mm. So they dock, and so um, I think it's been a, um, an Irish community, there's the Huguenots, and, and 
then it was a Jewish community and now it's a Bangladeshi community and so on. So it, and it's constantly changing and evolving. And that idea of identity is very much mm. sort of, in, you know, it's embroidered into it. Yeah. Sort of there. I remember the first time I, I, had, I set a date. I was going to take my... Streets of East London book by Bill Fishman and he's got all these walks in the back you know of the streets as they used to be yeah. and, sort of, and I was like I'm going to go on a walk on this walk today and I mean the thing is I've, I've been walking around Whitechapel for decades anyway because I was at Guildhall and but this just with a new you know I want to see all the evidence I can find of the Jewish community you know and that was well, it was it was a very exciting time doing doing all the walks and mm. exploring the area through the eyes of all the people I'd interviewed. And what was the process like for, for interviewing all the all the residents? Well, I was very touched at how generous people were. The process was just full. It was joyful and great fun. Mm. Um, and I mean, people would literally invite me round to their house, and we'd. There'd be couples sitting there, and we'd we'd have drinks and cake, and I mean it was just such fun. And I met so many wonderful people. One one of the people, uh, a couple of people who really meant a lot to me were one was Maya Bogdansky, who was known. Unfortunately, he he passed away a few years after we met. Um, he was known as the singing tailor. <laughs> So talking about authenticity again, one of the things that's quite interesting is that uh, Maya was also, and the the other connection with Maya was that he was very good friends with Avram Stenzel, and that he was, he'd come from Poland, he'd settled here after the Second World War, he was a tailor, he he felt his role was to teach people, Mm. just to share knowledge and and um, learning mm. and but also his great passion was music and he'd, he loved singing, he had a great voice and he also loved he, well two things, he had all these memories of tunes that he remembered from when he was a child mm. in Poland and he also had lots of new tunes and melodies in his head. And when he arrived in Whitechapel, apart from learning certain new tailoring skills, he also learned to read and write music. And he basically has published four tomes of Yiddish, of of Jewish melodies of his own and ones he remembers. And and so um, we use some of his melodies, some of the some of the ones he remembered from when he was in Poland and some that he'd written in the piece. Rachel puts them into the piece. Mm. So I, I love that because it gives voice to his voice, you know. And the other person was Mary Lowe, Masha, she was called. And I just came across her completely by chance um, because I noticed that I was looking out of my window one day and I noticed that the building opposite me in Upper Clapton was a Jewish day centre community centre and I hadn't realised this, I've been walking past this building day and night you know. so I went in and I said oh I'm doing this project, would anyone like to talk to me and they immediately said oh you need to talk to Mary Lowe and oh gosh she was just fabulous to talk to, I mean just real very honest and 
really highlighted the poverty that she grew yeah. up in and uh, all sorts of fascinating things. And we and we you and she's got a great voice with very grab gravelly voice. I've clearly smoked <laughs> two packets of cigarettes, don't yeah. um, and so we use bits of her interview, bits of Maya singing or talking and various other people in the in the actual dance music in the piece. Mm. So it's as part of the sound design. You get these snippets of people's uh, memories and things that they're explaining and so on. And how did you kind of go from all these interviews and, and discussions you'd had with the, the residents to pull it out into a kind of 50-minute performance? Yeah, piece? I mean, that's a really good question. I, I'd say part, partly it's very much down to... Uh, rate, well, we had a, we had a sort of tiered pro, creative process... Mm. So we started the process in, uh, I think it was up in Swelldale, the Swelldale Festival actually, when uh, Philip was artistic director at that time of the the festival. And uh, Stephen and Rachel and I brought ideas. So Stephen brought poems, poems of Evan Stenzel, some of his translations that he'd done of Stenzel. Rachel we we listened to all the interviews I mean there were hours I've got mini discs full of interviews that I really have to do something else with as well Um, but we we, we took I transcribed lots of things and Rachel and I discussed various ideas and we so the first process we had was a a performance that just had a mishmash of ideas and, and, and some musical ideas that Rachel had come with and then gradually, Rachel came up with this idea of right. I'm going to. She's going to write a piece about the tailor because Maya Maya's story had to be told. Mm. Um, and the baker's was another great interview. I, I interviewed Ray Rinkoff, who his is the only uh, Jewish genuine Je- Jewish bakery still working mm. in London. It's just behind London Hospital. Off Commercial Street. Is that Commercial Street? Always get the names muddled up. And he also has a a deli bakery on Valence Road, which has a big painting on the side of the wall of the building of his grandfather, who came over from, I think, from Russia in the late 1800s as a baker. And the bakery bakery has stayed in the business. And so how you make the bagels and the platzels and the the stippling of the rolls and Mm. all the the things he talks about and the poppy seed rolls and the, the, you know, and the the razoranabroit, the black bread and um, how the master baker only bakes on the floor of the oven and all these (laughs) things. I mean, it's fascinating. So Mm. I think... In a way, the stories told us that they had to be told, and that's how the piece evolved. And then Stephen wrote had this wonderful poem about Brick Lane, which we had, which we we, which we use, and we looked for, we read through a lot of Stenzel's poetry to find poems he wrote about Whitechapel, Mm. and with the help of Chaim Nelson, who was running Friends of Yiddish when, when I used to go, we chose these particular poems which talk about his just images of Whitechapel at, at the time that Stenzel was living there and really echo themes from the interviews. Mm. 
Um, yeah. And going back to the idea of, of authenticity in, in artistic work, there seems to be so much a kind of labour of love and you and all the collaborators kind of jumped into it feet first and immersed yourself in the community and the and the stories that these people were telling. How did they how did the community react to the to the piece? Well very the people who came were mm. always very vocal <laughs> which was wonderful and very enthusiastic and mm. and this piece is very much a piece about about people mm. and I I really felt that every time we performed it that that was there was this sense of this shared mm. shared experience because it was their stories I mean you know obviously this was these were stories of people from a, of a certain generation and so it, it was in a way you could say there was a sort of sentimental feeling about it yeah. but it was their memories and their stories and I think they took ownership of it and people I've met you know since uh, the people who are still alive mm. of course 15 years um, it, it's a shock when you realise that actually quite a few of people you interviewed passed away mm. since but they oh you know they still remember the people I spoke they still remember the piece and things about it and um, I think it's a thinking about it I think it's a great vehicle for giving voice to the community, mm. to people who might not have a voice. And I that's how I'm thinking about the future for another for other pieces and other creative work that I make that I would really want to take that forward. Yeah. And you mentioned it's been fifteen years since you came up with the piece and put it together. How what's it been like revisiting it? Uh, for, it's for been all sorts of things. Actually I've you know you, you kind of put something aside and forget about it. And so looking at the video again of one of the last performances and it, it reminded me of how much the piece mattered to me and how wonderful and what a connection I made with all the people mm. who shared their stories. And um from a performance point of view, I've discovered that there are certain things. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to, to think, know that 15 years on, there are, I have sort of my skills from a, as a performer have developed, mm. which is good to know. And also, though I am 15 years older, <laughs> and I do have to play a child in this piece, but I am reassured that I'm quite good at playing a child. So I'm, <laughs> I'll leave it at that. <laughs> and and it's um it's wonderful to revisit Rachel's music. Mm. I I can hear so much more in it. It's it's almost like I've had time to relax now and I you know because there's so many things to learn yeah. in this piece. It's not just playing the clarinet. It's it's all the physicality of the different characters. It's the accents, it's the storytelling, mm. it's the you know it, it moving and playing clarinet and all these things and I think 15 years on I'm calmer about all of that so I can actually now it's immerse myself in the music a bit mm. more again and I'm delighted at how fantastic the music is it's just she, Rachel's a great composer and um, so we're very lucky to have her having written this music and also 
I really appreciate my other collaborators. I mean, Stephen is the most fab. Fabulous is not the right word. Obviously, I'm not a poet, so clearly I can't find the words to describe what a great poet Stephen is. And Avram Stenzel's poems, I'm rereading them and revisiting his work. Mm. I mean, that's been really rich too. And seeing the relevance of the piece to now, I was yeah. like, oh, actually, this piece needs to be being done more. And, you know, Philip has been fabulous to work with again after such a long time, and he does fantastic work. And you'll be uh, presenting at the, at the conference with Philip and with, with Rachel? Yes, Rachel's coming back from America the night before. <laughs> <laughs> so she will be back. Yeah. Um, but what, what, are you, what are you looking forward to about um, presenting the piece to, to the conference and, and people again? I'm looking forward to finally getting it back on its feet and that, well, one never knows what, it's going to be a very different audience to mm. all the audiences we played to 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious to see how people will respond to it and what people feel about it. I, I did a very rough run of the tailor last week in uh, Wind Academy at Junior mm. Guildhall because you have an hour to do whatever you, you know, you have an hour to do whatever you want with all the wind uh, players who aren't in the orchestra. And so I uh, took the opportunity to show it to them. And I was really heartened by their responses. I mean, these are teenagers, so mm. this is the next generation, you know, yeah, the more yeah. flexible musicians of the future. And uh, that I got responses. I mean, all of them were they, they had they had no idea what to expect, <laughs> and uh, so they were completely open mouthed <laughs> through the performance because they hadn't expected um, all those levels of performance, mm. and their responses were all extremely positive and. A couple of people talking about this is definitely the future of music, classical music and instrumental playing. And I mean, I hadn't fed them any of those lines yeah. and they came out with all of that. And um, so I was excited by that. And I hope there are going to be you know, a lot of younger uh, delegates at, in the performance mm. and just to, to, to really gauge what people think and, and what else is going on that's similar and, you know, how it relates to how other people are, you know, using instrumental playing mm. in uh, within a bigger performance context. Yeah. And so what's next for you after, after bringing Stencil Music back? Well, I've got a long list <laughs> of to-dos, of, of, of work I want to make. Mm. Um, now... You know, mentioning right at the beginning of this this podcast, Stockhausen and Harlequin, this is a piece I've actually never learnt. Oh, really? Yes, and it's been bugging me for 30 years. <laughs> and actually, I have started learning it. I went to uh, Germany last summer and worked with Susie Stevens, for whom the piece was written. Oh, wow. And... Uh, actually met quite a few Harlequin performers because they all were there, which was absolutely wonderful for me to see them. And I feel that that's something I need to 
learn, mm. I want to put on, but I also want to put on a, a sister piece to go with it, so that perhaps one would come and see my piece first. So I want to write a piece called Stockhausen Syndrome, which is already being written, um, probably be more cabaret style. Oh, wow. And I want it to partially be about my journey with learning Harlequin, mm. especially as an older performer. Because generally, all the people you see performing it are in their 20s. Uh, very energetic. (laughs) Yeah, it's a very energetic piece. I don't have any problem with energy, but, you know, there's all sorts of things about turning, uh, becoming a more mature performer Mm. that, you know, and so I, I want to bring up all sorts of things about things within that cabaret but I'm hoping also it will explain the piece enough that people will then be inspired to actually come and see the piece the next day so if one did a one you know a double bill. do a double bill yeah, that's, yeah really that's the idea yeah so that's 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 one thing I just have to do for myself yeah I don't know how that relates to society particularly apart from it will have all sorts of issues coming up I'm sure but the other piece that there are a couple of other pieces I want to do apart from one about the Turkish community because mm. I live in um, I live in the heart of the, the Tur- London Turkish community and I have done for years and so I do want to work on something giving voice to yeah. the, the, that community but also I want to do a piece around um, the scarf which is something I'm really interested in because being Turkish, being half Turkish, I should say, I've got memories as a child of how women wore their wore their colourful cheesecloth scarves, mm. and it got me when I was in Istanbul a few years ago. I started to look for those scarves, mm. and I couldn't find them. And I realise now people don't make cheesecloth scarves anyway there's a whole thing you, you wouldn't believe how much there is to, to, to look at in scarves and and women's handicrafts wow. so I thought I could make a piece around that maybe work with a dancer mm. and, and so I don't know all sorts of collaborations hopefully yeah, for the future and kind of preserving these little bits of history though. and preserve yes yeah. exactly exactly Oh, lovely. Well, thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. Thank you. Um, to all you listeners, the Reflective Conservatoire Conference runs from the 20th to the 23rd of February here at, Gidf- here at Guildhall. And uh, there are a handful of conference and day tickets left, and you can get them from the Barbican box office. Or head to our website, gsmd.ac.uk slash rcc for more information. Uh, and follow at our conservatoire on Twitter next week for some live updates from the conference. And the hashtag is rcc2018. Thanks very much, Nira. Thank you.